completely different spin. And here we are stuck trying to figure out which one is right. One of my kids came home and said, yeah, watching kids CNN at, at school today. And they said, it's the unbiased news. And I started laughing. I said, probably not. You know, like, like I don't think there is such a thing. But we live in a society full of confusion. We, you look at um, one of the things I was, I was uh, reading an article the other day, and it was, it was talking about the, the whole idea of gender fluidity. You know, that, that, that there is no such thing as, as solid gender anymore. That, that now little kids, even in preschool, are being taught about gender fluidity. That, that you can be a boy one day and a girl one day and, and non-binary and, and atypical or whatever. I don't know, they just make up stuff now. But, but all kinds of varieties of things that, that we teach kids. And, and then we wonder why kids are so confused. We wonder why our adults are confused. It's because because we have no solid footing in, in, in our society, in our culture. And so one of the things I want to talk about today is trying to figure out that solid footing as a Christian. What does that mean? Have you ever been confused before? I've been confused before. Um, I was I was at a Baptist camp one time. I was uh, we I was in a group and um, this was this was after high school. I, I went to be a part of this group that we did travel ministry and we did you know, online, um, well, back in the days, it wasn't online, it was, it just wasn't at the school, but we did all of our Bible classes and stuff, and, and, um, and when we were home, and then we would travel out and do ministry, and so we went to this camp one time, and there was a group of us, and we would do these dramas and skits, and, and some of the things we would do, they called them, back in the day, they called them human videos, and, and essentially, it was, they would play a song, and then we would act out the song as it, as it went along, and so we're at this camp, and all these kids out here in front of us, and and they, they told me to play a part in this, in this drama. Well, the, the problem is, um, although at that time I was pretty good at doing the dramatic stuff and, and being on stage, that wasn't a problem to me. I had learned this song. I had learned my part for, you know, over a year. That, I had done one part the whole time. And so they all of a sudden asked me to do a whole different part. The timing was different. The moves were different. And so I did not know the part. And I'm trying to learn it as fast as I can. And all of a sudden, here we go. We're on stage. And I am front and center trying to remember all the moves to this song. And so as I'm trying to remember the moves, I start messing up. And I realize that I'm off. And I don't know the right moves. And so I thought the one thing I can do, because there was a line of us, I thought if I just look at the guy next to me. And so I kind of took, you know how you take a little step back and you look out of the corner of your eye. And I see him start to move his left hand. And so I start moving my left hand too. And then it's right hand, and then down, and we're up, and we're doing the things, you know. And I'm watching him, and he's, and, and we're kind of doing the thing. And what I didn't realize is that not only was I confused, but he was confused too. <laughs> he didn't know his part, and I didn't know this till after, but he is watching me trying to figure out what he's supposed to be doing, and I'm watching him trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing, and we're both just making stuff up. So as soon as one of us would see a right hand go, we would both just go with the right hand. The whole rest of the group is doing a whole nother drama, but me and this guy are front and center doing our own thing. Not one kid got saved at that camp. That No. It was all because of us. We ruined it. But sometimes we live in a culture of confusion, and so what we do is to try to figure out that confusion, we go and we look at other people that are confused too. We try to listen to a preacher, and we think that's going to get us right. We try to go to some kind of influencer on social media and think that they're going to get us right. Or we try to read the next greatest book, and that's going to get us right. And so we're confused. We're looking at confused people, 
And now we're just all confused together. And we're not making a lot of sense. And I think one of the big things is this is, this is one of the original attacks of Satan on society and on humanity is just to cause confusion. He doesn't have to make you sin if he can just make you confused. If he can make you doubt God's word, if he can make you question God's word, then sin is just the next thing that follows. And so I want to prove that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, this is Adam and Eve are in the garden, first man and woman ever created. God gives them very simple instructions. I love the fact that God recognized that although he created man, he knew man needed simple instructions. Amen, men, right? So God says, listen, Adam, Eve, you can eat anything you want in this entire garden. Just do not eat out of this one tree, right? It's like saying, hey, we're going to go to Golden Corral. You can eat anything on the buffet, but don't touch the sushi, right? Never eat sushi at Golden Corral. And so, so Adam and Eve, hey, don't eat this one thing. So what does Eve do? She shows up at the one thing. And Adam's with her. Adam's with her. We always give Eve a bad rap, but the Bible says Adam was with her. They show up at the one thing. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that, that kid that says, you tell the kid not to eat the cookie, but then they just want to, they're like, I'm not, I'm not eating the cookie. I'm just, I'm just smelling the cookie. You know what I'm talking about? They just get real close to the cookie. And that's what Adam and Eve, they're real close to the one thing they're not supposed to do. And here's what the serp, what Satan does. Satan shows up as a serpent in Genesis three, verse one, it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked a woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any trees in the garden? Now I'm going to stop there. I'm not going into that whole story. I just want you to see the attack of Satan on humanity was not, hey, Eve, eat this fruit. It was, did God really say? Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Did God really say that salvation comes by by faith and grace, not by works? Did God really say that, you know, so that's, that's Satan's attack right from the very beginning is, did God really say? As long as he can get us a little bit confused, then he can lead us into sin. And for us to be a, a Christ follower, we've got to find stability in a world that's not stable. And so the one thing that we can find stability in is in God's word. So if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is Grounded in God's Word. We need to be grounded in God's Word. Isaiah 4, 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And one of the key points today to, to note is this, is that Jesus himself was grounded in God's word. As a matter of fact, Jesus found himself in God's word. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you through some thoughts on what Jesus did. I'm going to lead you through some thoughts on, on how to be grounded in God's word. But at the end of the message, one of the things that I want us to learn to do is I want us to find ourselves in God's word. I want us to find our identity and our purpose 
in God's word. Not in what an influencer says, not in what a preacher says, not in what a denomination says, not in what society says, but in God's word is where we have to find ourselves. And we'll see that Jesus did that in Luke chapter 4. This is the the same verse that we use as our theme verse for our anointed series, but you'll see a little bit more of the story. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22, the Bible says this, And when he, talking about Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, that was his hometown, his, well, it says his boyhood home, uh, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So I want you to notice something right away. It was his usual pattern of life to go to church, and it was his usual pattern of life to read the scriptures. I like this. Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives uh, will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now check this out. Verse 20. We didn't get this far in our last series. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Right off the bat, Jesus says this. He goes to the Bible, finds himself in the scriptures, reads it, and then says, this has been fulfilled. That is his ultimate mic drop moment. He says to everybody, this is me. I'm the one. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. And people say all the time, Jesus never called himself uh, the Messiah. He never called himself the Son of God. Those are people that are not grounded in God's word. Because if you're grounded in God's word, you can see very clearly Jesus reads that. It would be like if I were to read um, something and and it said, you know, that that I am the greatest, you know, whatever in the world. And then I said, all right, guys, that's me. Like you'd be very clear to understand that that's who I'm talking about. Jesus says, this is me. This scripture is fulfilled in your very hearing today. And then what did the society do? Everyone spoke well of him and they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But then they said, wait, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, they already had an identity for him based on his parentage, based on his lineage, based on where he was from. But Jesus had an identity founded in God's word that had nothing to do with who his daddy was, who his mama was, had everything to do with who his father was. Big difference, big difference. And so that's one of the things I want you to notice today is for us as Christ followers, we have to find our identity, not in what our last name is, not in our country of origin, not in in our hometown, not in where we graduated from. We have to find our identity in what the word of God says about us. And whenever we do, something that I think, I think is interesting is whenever Jesus finds himself in God's word, it gives him authority. God's word gives him authority, right? It gives him authority over a couple of things. Number one, it gave him authority over Satan. The Bible says in Luke chapter 3, um, I'll try to get through this part quickly. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it says in Luke chapter 3, uh, Jesus is baptized in verse 21. It says on the, on the day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened. Listen to this. And the Holy Spirit in bodily form de- de- descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved, what? Son, okay, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, 
As soon as that's over, Jesus gets out of the water. He goes into the wilderness. The Bible says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. So the next chapter over. And, and here's what it says. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned uh, from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all the time. He became very hungry. Verse 3. Then the devil said to him, if you are the what? Son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. What was the attack of the enemy? Always questioning God's word. Trying to bring confusion. God says, this is my son. Satan says, if... You're really God's son. Immediately, that's, Satan is, is he's, he's, he's old and played out, right? Like he knows one thing and one thing only. He's a liar and he brings confusion. That's really his only game. And if we can understand his game, then, then we can defeat him. But sometimes we get caught up in his game and we allow him to play us. So here's what Jesus says. Because whenever Jesus knows who he is in God's scripture, when he knows himself and he knows his identity and what God says about him, now Jesus has authority even over Satan. So Jesus says this, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone. Three times Satan tempted Jesus. Three times Satan questioned Jesus's identity. Three times Jesus comes back with the word of God. So whenever I know my identity in Christ, when I know my identity in God's word, when I'm grounded in God's word, it gives me it gives me authority over the attack of the enemy. The other thing it gives me authority over, and, and we see this in Jesus' life, is over society. So, so whenever I'm grounded in God's word, I've got authority over Satan, but I also have authority over society. Notice this. In Mark chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Later, Levi um, invited Jesus. Levi ended up being Matthew. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples um, to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors, listen to this, and other disreputable sinners. These are really bad people. There were many of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that. I love the fact that Jesus has a group of followers that are not perfect, right? Kind of like all of us. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So whenever society questioned his mission, he always goes back to his purpose that he found in Luke chapter 4 uh, when he was quoting Isaiah, right? In other words, in, in, when he quotes Isaiah, he finds not only who he is, but he finds what he's supposed to do. And so it's very easy for him to confront society when society questions, why are you doing this? And listen, society's going to question you. Society's going to question why you do the things you do, why you believe the things you believe. Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you do these, these ancient rituals, right? Like, like, why are you doing that today? And you need to know, you need to be grounded in God's word enough to know why you do what you do. Jesus said, listen, it may look bad to you for me to hang out with scum, but the fact is, this is who I was called to reach. I quoted, if you would have been in Nazareth at the synagogue, you would have heard me say that I was anointed to preach the gospel to the captives to the blind, to the broken. Like, I'm not here for the healthy people. I'm not here for the righteous people. I'm here for the people that know they are jacked up. And Jesus understood his purpose and his mission. So it was easy for him to have authority over society. But here's the other thing. 
we view society sometimes as outsiders and unbelievers. But what about when society is really the people in your own home? What about society is the people in your family, the people in your church? Jesus said this in Matthew uh, 16, 21 and 23. It says, uh, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of, of the religious law. He would be killed and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Now, now, a lot of people feel like, a lot of scholars feel like when Jesus is talking to his disciples here, he's teaching them about Isaiah. Again, we're going back to Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied a lot about Jesus. Um, he's teaching them about Isaiah 53. It's called the suffering Messiah, right? And so in Isaiah 53, it's a whole prophecy about how the Messiah is going to come and not just lead in victory, but he's going to come and serve in suffering, that he's going to be killed. And so Jesus begins to teach himself in the word. He's found himself in God's word again. He's teaching that. And here's what Peter says. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. I love it that he calls him Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus calls uh, Peter Satan probably because Peter is trying to confuse the word of God. He's questioning the word of God. Jesus is saying the word of God says I'm going to suffer. And Peter says that's never going to happen to you. Jesus says get behind me Satan. You got man's point of view not God's point of view. You don't know what you're talking about. Listen there's going to be some points in your life. Where, where if you're not grounded in God's word. Even the closest people to you will confuse what God has already spoken to you. And we got to be grounded in God's word. We got to know our purpose and our calling. The last thing that, that Jesus has authority over is self. So he's got authority over Satan. He's got authority over society. He also has authority over self. Listen, our self will get us in trouble sometimes. I used to, there used to be an old saying, the devil made me do it, right? Y'all remember that? Some of you guys are a little bit older. Uh, you'll remember that old saying, especially in churches, the devil made me do it. I didn't want to sin. I didn't want to watch that show, but the devil made me watch that show. No, the devil didn't make you do nothing. You did it all by yourself right? Like you had desire. The Bible says that we have this evil, sinful, fleshly desire. And when we act on that desire, it leads us into sin. So the devil doesn't make us do stuff. A lot of times it's ourself that makes us do stuff. And, and one of the things Jesus had authority over was even his own self and desire. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be murdered for all of our sins. And here's what he says. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He says, I want your will to be done, not my own self. Right? Not my own desire. Why did he say that? Because he was grounded in God's word. He knew what the, what the Messiah was supposed to do. And so whenever you find your identity and your purpose and your path in God's word, then that will dictate the way you live your life and gives you authority over even your own self. So I want to be like Christ. I want to be a Christ follower. So I need to be grounded in God's word. So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? It's not just reading the Bible, right? It's not just reading the Bible. We need to read the Bible, but, but it's reading the Bible in such a way that it, that it makes a difference. And so I want to give you uh, three things that, that I feel like the way we, we approach God's word um, can really dictate a lot of this stuff in our lives, how we can be grounded in God's word. So for me to be grounded in God's word, uh, number one, it must be growing in me. 
It must be growing in me. And I, I think I put it all right on there, Tim. If I mix it up, I'm sorry. But first of all, it's growing in me. Luke 8, uh, 4 through 8 says this. Jesus is teaching a parable. And here's what he says. He says, when, the great, when a great crowd was gathering and people from a town came, um, came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path that was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Um, a, another version says there that, that it, it grew up because of the rocky soil. The roots couldn't go deep. That's what that means. And some fell among thorns, and the, the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said, uh, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Something that I feel like is important here. The word of God must be growing in us. Now, something I want you to notice. What are the key points of this, of this parable that he's telling? There's two key things to this parable. One is the seed. And Jesus goes on to explain that the seed is God's word. Two is the soil. But what we get mixed up sometimes in our society is we try to focus on the sower. We want to focus on the pastor, on the preacher, on the celebrity, and we focus on the sower, and we think if I can just get to the right sower, if I can just find the right man or the right woman to speak into my life, if I can just find the right guy, the right person to do something for me, and really this story has nothing to do with the sower whatsoever. It has everything to do with the seed and the soil. As a matter of fact, whenever they, you know, they didn't, when the, when the Bible was written, it, it, there's no like, um, like when, when, when this was written by, by Luke, he, he didn't put like captions. He didn't put a caption on there that says parable of the sower, right? If you would, he, it would be messed up because it's really a parable of the soil. The soil has more to do with the story than the sower. And the seed is a constant, but the, the soil is the variable. We are the soil. And, and so he's giving us an option here. He's saying you can be whatever kind of soil you want to be. You can be the kind of soil that has lots of weeds, concerns, doubts, worries, fears. And every time God's word gets planted in your life, it gets choked out. You can be the kind of soil that's very shallow, full of rocks and hardness. And, and every time the seed tries to grow, it can't. You can be the kind of soil that's just a pathway that you just don't care. Or you can be good soil and allow the word of God to grow deep into your life. Mark chapter 10 says this. And this is where I want to, I want to kind of show you this real quick. As a matter of fact, uh, I would paraphrase this. I'll just read it to you. Mark 10, 17, it says, And Jesus was starting out on his way in Jerusalem. A man came running up to him, knelt down and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Verse 19. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't uh, testify falsely. Don't cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, here's the key. This guy knew the word. He was doing a lot of the things in the word, but there was still a problem. There was still a problem. What's the problem? Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then 
come follow me. At this, a man's face, uh, face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. What was the problem? The problem was he had God's word on the surface, but it wasn't deep in his heart. How do I know it wasn't deep in his heart? It wasn't deep in his heart because he had so many possessions. His possessions are what were deep in his heart. And God's word couldn't put down roots. That's the stone, right? That's the, the rocky soil. We can fill our lives up with a bunch of other stuff, and that's great. But if it's not full of the word of God, if it's not allowing the roots of the word of God into our life, the Bible says when the sun gets hot, it'll wither away. The plant dies. I'll, I'll, you know me, I use my life as, as a lot of the examples, but... And I think next month, um, I think next month I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be preaching about going into the storm. What it means, what do we do when we face a storm in life? I think that's the direction God's leading me. But, but part of that is what my family's going through, what Will and Jamie are going through right now, is this. If your life is full of a lot of stuff, a lot of activity, a lot of sports, a lot of um, money, like if your life is full of, I've got to work, 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 work. I've got to get all the money. I've got to have all the savings. I've got to have all the things. If your life is full of shopping and listen, all those things, none of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But if that's all your heart is full of and the word of God hasn't taken root in your life, when you face a storm, like what my father-in-law is going through right now, what Will and Jamie are going through right now, when you face a storm, you'll fall apart because you'll blame God for everything. You'll be mad at God because your life isn't going the way it's supposed to be going instead of knowing what the Word of God says. So it's important that God's Word is allowed to grow in our life. The next thing God's Word must be doing is it must be working on me. So it's got to be growing in me, and then it also has to be working on me. Like God's word has to have an impact on my life. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Listen, if God's word doesn't occasionally hurt my feelings, then his word is not working on me. His word should, I'm not saying that, that God's trying to hurt your feelings, but our feelings are based on our emotions. Our feelings are based on our desires. If God's word doesn't occasionally hurt our feelings, then he's not working on you. There needs to be times when I read God's word and I think, oh, that's a tough one. There needs to be times when I read God's word and I think, oh, I shouldn't have done this yesterday. Right? Right? Because God's word should be working on us. You think about if God's word is a seed, what does a seed have to do in order to produce fruit? It's got to break the soil. It's got to break the soil as it comes out. God's word, there's going to be times when it's going to have to break the soil, break our feelings, break our desires, break our, our selfishness, right? Break our sinful nature. There should be times when God's word is breaking some stuff inside of us. Otherwise, the, the writer of Hebrews wouldn't have called it a, a sharp sword. If you need to be healed of something, if you go to the hospital and they need to cut something out of you, right? The doctor doesn't care about your feelings, 
We were talking, we've been in the hospital a lot this, this week. I went down to, to Opelika and we were down at the hospital all day. And, and, and one of the things we were talking about is a certain doctor. They said, uh, they said the doctor doesn't really care about how we feel. Like he's just very direct and honest, but just tell us how, tells us how it is. And I said, you know what, though, if this is your life, if your life is in, I got to cut people open and take things out of them, then, then you don't really have time to worry about people's feelings because you're trying to save someone's life. And that's what Word of God is trying to do. The Word of God, the, the point of the Word of God is not to make you feel good all the time, not to have a little verse on your coffee cup every day. The Word of God is here to change your life, to make us more like Jesus, to get us from bad to good. The Word of God is not here to make us feel fuzzy. And so if He's not sometimes hurting your feelings, then chances are you're not allowing God to work in you through His Word. The last one is this. God's word must be a foundation for me. In Matthew 27, this is the last one we'll read and then I'll, I'll start shutting it down. Matthew 27 verses 24, uh, Matthew 7 verses 24 through 27 says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. I use this verse a lot. It's really good. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the, rains, uh, the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Something you need to understand today, when we're talking about building a house on the rock, we're talking about building our life on that rock. Finding my identity in the rock called Jesus' word, right? This is the foundation. This is the rock. I build my life on this. I don't make this fit my life. Big difference. Anybody can find God's word and pick cherry-pick verses, right, to make God's word conform to them. I've told you guys plenty of times about this, this new age of Christianity where, where people just take bits and pieces of God's word and they try to conform it and they try to twist it. And that's not what God's word is all about. The Bible calls it a rock. A rock is solid. You don't just grab rocks and bend them. My son Colt is in sixth grade and he is apparently studying rocks in school. And so every day when we're driving around and he's looking outside, he's like, that's an igneous rock, Dad. That, that's sedimentary rock. And when that sedimentary rock breaks down and it melts, it turns into molten lava and, and it becomes a, a volcanic whatever. And I don't even know anymore. I should know it by now because he's told me about 30,000 times every time we get in the car. I know he knows all about the rocks. Listen, you don't just pick up a rock and bend it to your will. Whenever you have a rock, you bend to that rock's will. Right? How many of you ever been hit in the head with a rock? Did that rock bend around your head and make you feel good? No, it did not. Your head bent around that rock. Rocks are solid. We need to build our life on God's word. It needs to become our identity. We need to find out what the word of God says about us. Something I like what Jesus says here is he says, anybody who hears my word and obeys. Something about the Word of God, and, and, and I was reading, um, I was reading some or listening to a guy talk the other day, and he was talking about the Hebrew language, and he talked about how like the Greeks would have, you know, a, a variety of words for different things. Like if you look at the word love, there's like 
five or six different Greek words for love. And in, 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 in the, um, uh, our language, English, you know, there, there's, there's a variety. Like, I think he said the word here in the English language um, has like 15,000 varieties. Whereas in the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, the word here was only like four or 5,000 varieties. Something, something weird like that. It's like, it's like where the Hebrew language is very, very simple. In other words, you get up one word and have a variety of meanings behind it. And one of the things that, that they talk about is whenever the Bible says hear, especially when Jesus is talking about hearing, he's not just talking about listening. He's talking about hearing in such a way that it reflects in your actions. So when he says this, he's saying you've got to build your you got to hear my word in such a way that it dictates how you live your life. I've got to find my identity in God's word, not in what society says about me. I want to just give you a couple of things, because here's the thing. When we find our identity, when we're grounded in God's word, and we find out who we are in God's word, that will dictate how we treat our spouse. You want to be a better husband or a better wife? Get grounded in God's word. There's a lot of good stuff in here about being, being married. You, you want to find out how to be a better boss or a better co-worker? Get grounded in God's word. You want to find out how to be a better kid? You guys on the front row better listen to this. Get grounded. Yeah, listen. Everybody that's young, listen to this. If you want to be a better child to your parents, get grounded in God's word. You want to reach your potential? You want to do all that God has for you to do? And, and that's one thing. Sometimes I get a little bit weary. Like I get a little bit scared when I hear preachers and, and I feel like all they ever talk about is, you know, just reaching your potential. And, you know, that's great. I, I want to reach my potential. I want to fulfill my purpose, but not outside of God's word. And God's word should be creating an identity for me where that purpose just flows naturally from me. So we got to get into God's word. So what does the Bible say about me? I just, I, I, could, I could have a lot of stuff here, but I'm going to just cut it off at just a few. Just two and a half pages worth of verses. Just a few. I'm sorry. Let's just talk about what God's word says about you. Psalm 139, and I don't have these on the screen, so you guys in the back don't freak out. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, uh, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, listen to that, in your book, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when I was yet there, um, when, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, what does the Bible say about you, about your purpose, about your identity? It says you were formed intricately. You're not random. You're not an accident. My parents didn't plan me. They called me an accident for a long time. Golly, every time I try to pray like the old prophets, lightning never strikes. But I try it every time. Listen, you're not an accident. I'm not an accident. God formed me. When society tells you that you came from the sludge and you were a lizard and then you were a monkey and then you lost your tail and dropped out of a tree and lost all the hair on your body. Well, some of you lost all the hair on the body. Some of you still got it. But um, listen. God formed you. He knew you. He chose you. 
First Peter, I'm not going to read all these verses. Let me just give you the synopsis. First Peter 2.9 says that you are chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. That you are His possession. That you are the proclaimers of His glory. First Corinthians 3.16 and 17 says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So whenever you are tempted to sin... Let me tell you something. You need to remind yourself, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. That there is no place for that kind of mess in my life because I'm the temple. See, whenever, whenever I sin, when I mess up, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel guilt uh, about breaking a rule. I feel guilt about acting against my identity. Because the Bible says I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when I sin, when I mess up, my problem is that, oh God, I'm so sorry. I've acted against the identity and purpose that you put in me. You didn't form me to act like this. You didn't form me to think like this. You didn't form me in my mother's womb. You didn't intricately knit me together. You didn't call me the temple of the Holy Spirit so that I could have that kind of attitude or I could, I could treat people that way or I could do those things. Galatians 4, 7 that says that you are sons and daughters, most importantly, but you're not slaves. So stop thinking like a slave. Stop thinking like a slave. Stop thinking like someone that's less. And you need to think about someone that's a son and a daughter, that you are an heir. Uh, the Bible says in First John, uh, I mean in John 1.12 that you're children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. John 15.15 15 says you're not servants, you're friends. Philippians 3.20 says you are citizens of heaven. Listen, don't talk to me about being a citizen of America and about being a citizen of Trustful or Alabama or being a citizen of whatever. I don't care about your earthly citizenship. I care about your heavenly citizenship. Because we can get away with a lot of mess claiming USA. But listen, you can't get away with a lot of mess when you start claiming heaven. We got to act and live like a new identity. That new identity is a citizen of heaven. First John 3, 1 says, I'm a child of God. Ephesians 2, 10 says, I am God's workmanship in Christ, built and created for good works. Romans 8, 17 says, I'm a child, I'm, I'm an heir. Uh, Galatians 3, uh, 3.26 says, I'm a son of God. 1 John 4.4 4 says, I'm an overcomer. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, I have a spirit of power, love, and sound mind, not of fear. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22 says, I'm established, anointed, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 41.10 says, I'm not alone, and God himself will strengthen me. You guys watching online this morning... Perry and, and, and my family, Will and Jamie, you watch it online. Let me tell you something. I, I, let me read that again. Isaiah 41.10. Let me just read that one to you guys. So not for y'all, for them. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, when we know what the Bible says about us, we can make it through the storm. We can make it through the storm. But when you don't know what the Bible says, you crumble when the waves come. Romans 8, 37 says, I'm more than a conqueror. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, I am the righteousness of God. John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Some of us struggle. We struggle with the same sin over and over again. The same thoughts over and over again. The same fear over and over again. We, we, we struggle with the same mindset over and over again. And the reason we do is because we've forgotten what God's word says about us. 
that who the Son has set free is free indeed. Stop living like a slave and live like a son and daughter. It's important for us to find our identity in in God's Word. Amen? I got some friends, some of our elders.